residents rage against their landlord. He's not planning to fix it, and it's not worth it. Basically saying we're not worth it. Without heat or hot water, why they're still fighting an eviction notice. Catalytic converter chaos. Aside from sitting in the vehicle overnight with, uh, with a flashlight, we did pretty much everything we could. How this repeat victim is fighting back against thieves and ICBC. And in this booming BC municipality, why residents say property assessments aren't keeping up with explosive growth. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. We'll have more on those stories in just a moment. But first, breaking news involving the hit and run of an RCMP officer in Delta. Investigators have now identified a suspect and Ramina Dea has the details. The suspect still on the run. RCMP on the hunt for 57-year-old Tobin Peter Haas of Vancouver. Police urging the public to call 911 immediately if you see him. RCMP say Haas is wanted for an outstanding warrant for break and enter, as well as for questioning in connection to Saturday's violent hit and run involving an officer. In a targeted traffic stop at roughly 10.30 Saturday morning on Highway 91 in Delta, RCMP say an officer with BC Highway Patrol stopped a vehicle that was associated to a man who has an outstanding BC-wide warrant for his arrest. After a brief roadside exchange, the driver of the vehicle fled the scene, striking the officer, according to the Mounties. Now, Global News has learned a suspect vehicle was dumped a short distance away in South Surrey. But when police arrived, the driver was gone. Forensics investigators spent a considerable amount of time gathering evidence. The officer who was hit sustained non-life-threatening injuries. He has been released from hospital and is expected to make a full recovery. We have confirmed Haas is the same man who went to prison after a wild high-speed police chase with his nine-year-old son in the vehicle more than a decade ago in Manitoba. Again, RCMP say call 911 if you see Haas. The Mounties urging anyone with dash cam video or witnesses to please step up and notify them. Romina Dea, Global News. Now a familiar story. A rental building falls into disrepair and the landlord refuses to act. That's the case for some South Surrey tenants living with no heat for two years and now without hot water. And as Janet Brown reports, the landlord won't do anything about it, issuing eviction notices instead. I haven't had heat for two years, 100% no heat at all, and I haven't had any hot water at all since January 14th. Don McKay says the situation where she rents at the Cedar Lane Motel in South Surrey is unbearable, having to wear a coat at times, even indoors, to keep warm. Cold, cold, only cold water. It's absolutely horrible. It's freezing. My hand is like frozen cold. And this is the only source of heat when she's home. It's extremely uncomfortable. It's extremely difficult. It's, in fact, even dangerous, especially for some of the tenants who are disabled. Don says when she took her complaints to the residential tenancy branch, she was served by the landlord with an eviction notice, which said a demolition permit had been approved. These people deserve the basic necessities of life. That's heat and that's hot water. To be without heat for two years, without hot water for over a month, is absolutely ridiculous, it's shameful, and it's, it's criminal. 
Halford says he is trying to find out if a demolition permit really exists. I think that there's got to be a lot of answers here from the owner specifically. And my biggest answer is how did you let people go without heat for two years? So we called the property owner, who says the heat and hot water will be back on soon. We already told the tenants that it, there are some parts issues with the, with the property and those parts are in the process of getting it. So they should expect to have their hot water and heat back on soon? Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. When? I can check the ETA on the parts that have been ordered. He also says a development permit has been approved for the property, and that is why tenants received the four-month notice to vacate. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that, that we've been treated this way. We have reached out to the Housing Ministry for comment, which tells Global News they'll be speaking with the Residential Tenancy Branch first thing Tuesday morning. Janet Brown, Global News. A number of families have been displaced after a fire spread to an apartment building in Chilliwack today. Fire crews were called to a semi-detached residential carport on Edward Street near Patton Avenue around 5.30 a.m. The fire caused considerable damage to the carport. It destroyed three vehicles inside before spreading to the adjacent two-story apartment building. The heat of the flames even melted the siding on another residential building across the alley. I heard the car alarms going, yeah. and then I heard an explosion, so like, I got my windows open, and then I looked outside and I saw the flames. I felt the heat from the window, it was hot, it was like sitting outside a campfire. The apartments have severe fire and smoke damage, displacing all the residents in the six-unit building. Thankfully, no one was injured. The cause of the fire is still under investigation. Fire and RCMP investigators are expected to examine the scene on Tuesday. A report from Statistics Canada indicates the cost of housing is impacting the quality of life of Vancouver residents. Renters across Canada faced record low vacancy rates of 1.5% and record high average rent increases of more than 8% in 2023. In Vancouver, almost 30% of people report living in unaffordable housing. More than 13% spend more than half of their income on shelter costs. Renters generally report a lower quality of life compared to homeowners, and that problem is worse in Toronto and Vancouver than anywhere else. BC's new program to construct homes on provincially owned land could be expanding thanks to some federal help. Sources tell Global News the federal government is going to announce a new partnership this week. It will see the province and developers receive low-cost loans to rapidly grow the BC Builds program. Premier David Eby had indicated the federal government was showing interest in the strategy. The program promises to cut the time from concept to construction down to about one year. Sources add the feds could offer supports to other provinces that introduce similar programs. Keith Baldry joins us now, uh, now live with more on that housing announcement. Uh, spring session is going to begin this week. Keith, it's going to be busy. What have you learned about housing? Yeah, so the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, coming to Vancouver tomorrow for a big event in the morning with B.C. Premier David Eby. As you just pointed out, the B.C. Builds program at the heart of this. The feds are going to match the B.C. Uh, contribution of $2 billion in low government financing. The feds are stepping up to the table with similar numbers of dollars, also building similar number of units, 4,000 units from B.C., likely the same number of units built over five years from the federal matching uh, program with B.C. Builds. And expect the Prime Minister also to head to Ontario to do similar announcements with the Premier there and potentially, as you mentioned, other provinces as well. 
All right, spring session begins tomorrow. I know housing is a big thing, but there are lots yep. of pressing, uh, pressing issues for, for people in B.C. What do you expect in this, uh, as the session begins tomorrow? Oh, it's it's going to be a lively one. It's the last session before the election in October. It's the fifth session of the 42nd Parliament. It begins tomorrow at 2 p.m. with the reading of the throne speech, which again kicks off the session in the, in the spring. What's unusual is we're going to have a budget just two days after that session, uh, after that throne speech. Usually there's a week apart between the two. And finally, Finally, last week, Premier David Eby pointed out that he expects there to be about 20, elect 20 bills associated with those hot-button issues, such as affordability, housing, health care, and public safety. It all gets going uh, at noon with proroguing the previous session, and then the, th the throne speech coming at 2 p.m., read by Lieutenant Governor Janet Austin. We'll be carrying that live on BC1, and we expect myself and Richard Zussman to be on BC1 afterwards with some analysis. No doubt. Lots on the slate this session. We look forward to your coverage. Keith, thanks very much. Right. A B.C. municipal councillor is calling out B.C. assessment, saying it consistently undervalues commercial properties. As Cassidy Moscone reports, he says that forces residential homeowners to carry an unfair burden of the tax load. Valued at $11.6 million in 2021, sold for $22.1 million the next year. In 2024, the assessment is only $15.5 million. When large industrial and commercial properties are underassessed, they pay less tax than they should, which means other property owners and taxpayers are paying more tax than they should be. This sort of thing shouldn't be happening, but it's happening more and more around the province. Commercial properties in Squamish constantly underassessed, according to councillors who say average homeowners are left to pick up the tax bill. So communities across British Columbia set a budget every year and in that budget they determine how much they need to operate for the year. Any time a taxpayer is paying less than they should, it means others are paying more to make up that difference. The District of Squamish is hoping to submit a resolution to the Lower Mainland Local Government Association to essentially ask the province to completely overhaul the way properties are assessed in BC. Global News contacted BC Assessment for comment but never heard back. Derek Holloway used to work for the organisation. He doesn't blame them. They are working within the constraints of their legislation and they would like to do a better job, but they're stretched beyond belief. But says an overhaul to the system is well overdue. They need to uh, update the Assessment Act. It's notoriously referred to as a patchwork piece of legislation that is not effective any longer and uh, changes are needed. It for sure is not isolated to Squamish. Prince George, Prince Rupert, Port Alberni, from Caslow to Kamloops to Kelowna. There are examples all over the province of where these underassessments are impacting taxation. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. There's a new petition circulating launched by a group opposed to new provincial rules that essentially ban short-term rentals. The group wants exemptions for buildings purpose-built as vacation rentals and zoned to operate commercially. Claudia Van Emmerich shows us more. Still under construction, Kelowna's Aqua Building is situated on the shores of Okanagan Lake. Zoned for commercial use, many of the units purchased here on the condition they could be rented on a short-term basis. This was purpose-built, pre-sold as short-term rental, 
and it's a resort-style community. Local realtor J.P. Letnick is among those who pre-bought a unit. He says many of the purchasers will face a loss, whether they choose to keep it or sell the property that due to its commercial designation was purchased for a premium price. A lot of the individuals here, if they can't do short-term rental, they're going to be underwater on their mortgages because the, the long-term rental doesn't cover the actual cost of these units for the mortgages, the strata fees, and all the maintenance and everything that's involved with them. Those like Letnick would like to see the buildings that were zoned for short-term rentals stay that way and be exempt from new legislation aimed at boosting long-term housing. It's a provincial government overreach. Uh, we're talking about people's property rights. We're talking about people that purchased homes under rules, bylaws. The Property Rights Association of BC, which formed after the province introduced the legislation last fall, has now launched a petition calling on amendments to the legislation, garnering more than 4,500 signatures so far. I circle back to the term legal or lawfully operating. These are people that uh, were operating in a municipality. They had business licenses. Um, you know, they pay their taxes. They have staff, everything above board. BC's housing minister not backing down down, though, making these comments while visiting Kelowna late last week. We don't want anyone to lose money in their investments. Our main purpose here is to ensure that housing that is available for the public be available for them. We have people struggling every single day here in communities throughout the region to find uh, housing uh, and affordable housing. The Property Rights Association of BC plans to present the petition to government in the coming weeks. And while it is hoping the petition leads to a resolution, it has not ruled out legal action. You're taking this blanket, blunt instrument of a tool uh, and trying to smash down really a little small group, right? We're not a, you know, not a big group. The illegal operators, I can't speak for them. Those are the ones that should have been like heavily targeted. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Kelowna. Soon we will know if inflation has slowed down at the start of this year. Statistics Canada will release its Consumer Price Index report for January tomorrow. Economists at banks are expecting inflation to have eased a little bit from 3.4% in December to 3.2% last month. They point to several factors, including a drop in gas and energy prices and a slowdown for grocery price increases. We'll find out tomorrow. A victim of repeated catalytic converter thefts has a warning to other car owners. He's paying a lot more for insurance deductible through no fault of his own. How much ICBC jacked up his deductible just because he keeps getting hit by thieves. That's next on the News Hour. When things go wrong, they can go really wrong. Safety concerns grow after two separate train derailments in BC over the weekend. Plus, if these are my goals and these are things I want to do. You have to kind of accept some degree of risk involved. A Kelowna endurance athlete takes on a daring new challenge off the coast of Hawaii. Those stories coming up later. Right now, though, a repeat victim of catalytic converter theft is feeling victimized by thieves and by ICBC. He's been hit three times despite taking precautions. And now the provincial insurer wants him to pay even more. Aaron MacArthur reports. Lately, every time Ken Hansen starts his car, he never knows what it will sound like. In the space of about a year, his catalytic converter has been stolen three times. Each time, he paid his $300 deductible. But if it happens again, his costs will be 700% yeah, yeah, more. It wakes the neighborhood up. ICBC hiking his deductible to $2,500. I can see that if I backed into a pole 
three or four times and cause damage, yeah, it's my fault. But when somebody comes and steals from you, uh, a part of the vehicle that is required by law, they don't take that into consideration. ICBC says Hansen has filed four claims, three for catalytic converters and one for a windshield totaling more than $13,000. The Crown Corporation says as a result, he is at a higher risk. We follow standard industry, insurance industry practice when we review a customer's claim history. Uh, and in some cases, if they have multiple claims, that could lead to an increase. Hansen has taken steps to protect his vehicle, going so far as to install a security camera. It didn't help. Catalytic converter theft, an epidemic across B.C., the government engaging with industry and consumer groups to find solutions. Uh, I'm sympathetic to the issue uh, around uh, ICBC and the increasing of, of, uh, of deductibles because of uh, something that's not the, uh, the driver's fault, and so I'll be asking ICBC to look into that matter. Because Hansen has had his deductible increase, ICBC says he is actually paying less for his coverage. Little consolation for the retired firefighter, who will be out of pocket for anything that goes wrong. Windshield replacement on these vehicles is, is about $1,500. So I'd have to say that we'll be driving vehicles with cracked windshields uh, for the foreseeable future. Hansen finally put a lower grade catalytic converter on his SUV, one that thieves generally don't bother stealing. So far, so good. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. One person has been seriously injured in a shooting during an attempted robbery in Surrey's Guildford neighborhood. Officers were called to the Impact Plaza at 152nd Street and 101 Avenue for reports of shots fired at Noor Jewelry just before 6.30 p.m. yesterday. A robbery had been attempted and a male employee was shot by one of the suspects who fled the area before police arrived. The victim is in hospital with non-life-threatening injuries but any witnesses or anyone with dash cam video of the area between 6 and 7 p.m. Sunday night is being asked to contact Surrey RCMP. Two train collisions this weekend in eastern B.C. have critics questioning the safety of our railways. Burned out wreckage lies beside the tracks where a locomotive hit a stopped train Friday near Revelstoke. Two workers were sent to hospital. Officials say the crash also spilled diesel into nearby waterways. Crews have been able to contain the spill and they're still working to determine if there is any lasting environmental damage. Eight cars derailed just before 10.30 Friday evening after hitting the rear of another train stopped. Canada Pacific Kansas City Rail reported the crash and is monitoring the situation. Transport Canada needs to take a more proactive role. Um, they rely very heavily on something called safety management systems, which are proprietary safety systems that aren't transparent to the public. Um, the, this is essentially the rail companies setting their own safety rules. And uh, in my view, that's, that shouldn't be the primary way that we ensure the safety of the rail sector. The Transportation Safety Board is also investigating a second collision Saturday near Field, also involving a CPKC train that derailed as it hit a stationary train. Five years ago, a derailment in the same area killed three crew members when a train lost control rolling down a steep section of rail in the Rockies. The main line has since reopened with trains rolling more slowly through those derailment sites. A group of utility terrain vehicle enthusiasts are safe tonight after having to be rescued from the hills above Peachland over the weekend. 
Central Okanagan Search and Rescue provided these photos of the rescue operation last night. Kosar says the three side-by-sides had become stuck at the bottom of a gully. After several hours of trying to get out, the group called 911. Medical concerns among the stranded party elevated the response urgency. Kosar used a snowmobile team along with its own tracked utility terrain vehicle to rescue all six people. This was Kosar's fifth task in just the past week and a half. Be careful out there, people. All right, seniors, targeted and terrified. Police need your help identifying these youth vandalizing a North Vancouver home. Plus, we speak up for Earth and for our children. Richmond residents rally against city council and the safe consumption site, even though it's not happening, why they still want their voices heard. We're all ready where BC starts its mornings. It's really humbling. It's a real privilege, to be honest. Time in the morning with your kids and getting ready for work, that's precious. That's why Sonia, Mark, Caitlin, and myself work so hard to keep British Columbians informed. Our job is to prepare you for the day ahead. We deliver the news, but we get to have a bit of fun. I want people to start their day with a smile. We all do it because we love it, and you feed off that passion. Wake up to Global News Morning. Weekdays from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. We are BC's News. North Vancouver RCMP need help identifying suspects in an ongoing harassment case that is terrifying a senior couple in the central Lonsdale neighborhood. Officers received calls for two overnight incidents on Mahan Avenue Saturday. Two suspects were seen on security camera kicking the front door and running away. The couple has reported four other incidents where youths were caught vandalizing their home, including egging, kicking, even having a traffic cone thrown through the window. Police say the residents don't know why they're being targeted. Anyone with information on these incidents is being asked to call North Vancouver RCMP. Well, despite Vancouver Coastal Health killing the idea, some Richmond residents aren't giving up their fight over a standalone supervised drug consumption site in their city. As Angela Jung reports, they say it's about elected officials not listening to their constituents. No more silence. No more A rallying silence. cry. Hundreds galvanized this family day after Richmond Council's recent decision to pass a motion looking into the merits of opening a supervised consumption site at the city's hospital. To bring something so controversial and some, so consequential to pass so quickly without proper public consultation was very appalling. Tensions ran high last week at City Hall. More than 100 residents spoke out over two council meetings. Our councillors basically ignored us. The City of Richmond and Richmond City Council have said all along they do not have the power to open and operate a supervised consumption site. That decision lies with Health Canada and Vancouver Coastal Health. Councillor Carol Day says the health authority originally gave them the green light to look into it. But the day after the motion was passed, VCH rejected the idea. Luckily, the next day, the Premier came out and said, yeah, we're not going to do a um, consumption site, but we are definitely going to be increasing the services in Richmond. So that was a win for Council. But not everyone got the memo. Hundreds participating in this protest, marching to City Hall. A safe consumption site will not be coming to Richmond. Well, 
it's not coming. It's not coming. It's become a political issue for some people who are seeking office, which is really, really unfair. So a lot of people that are here have been grossly misinformed. I'm not from Richmond. I'm from Vancouver, but our kids. Go Several to federal together. MP candidates speaking out at this event, looking to score political points to an audience that's already indicated it will be more involved in politics. Angela Jung, Global News. Just ahead, the countdown is on. Well, this is a great way to engage the community and let them get excited about the Invictus Games. A showcase of events that will bring the world to Vancouver and Whistler one year from now at the Invictus Games. Plus, this is wild. Extreme weather pounds California from the coast to the mountains. The CKNW Kids Fund Pink Shirt Day campaign recognizes the importance of diversity. Pink Shirt Day, Wednesday, February 28th. Presented by Fortis BC. Purchase this year's shirt at London Drugs. It's a year to go until the Invictus Games in Whistler, and to start the countdown, families got to try firsthand what it takes to be an Invictus athlete. The Unconquered Sports Day allows attendees to try some of the adaptive sports that will be featured at the official games next year, including wheelchair basketball, sitting volleyball, indoor rowing, and wheelchair curling. The free Family Day event was open to all ages and abilities at the Armory as an opportunity to learn more about adaptive sports. Well, this is a great way to engage the community and let them get excited about the Invictus Games. People who try adaptive sports, even if they're fully able to do anything else, find out how incredibly challenging they are. I played wheelchair basketball last week up outside Whistler, and it's tough. So you get a real appreciation what, for what our Invictus participants do. I've had to realize that working with my invisible injury is my new normal. I have to learn how to work with it, not against it. Um, it's the same with the adaptive sports. Invictus Games competitors include wounded, injured and sick military service members and veterans. The competition is set to take place February 8th to 16th and will welcome 550 competitors from 25 nations around the world. And a number of families made their way to the B.C. Legislature this afternoon to celebrate Family Day. We found our so far and the owls over there. Yeah. So, that's neat. yeah. The BC Legislature held free Family Day activities, which include everything from learning about all the different wildlife on Vancouver Island to the history of the legislature building itself. Families were also able to explore the over 100-year-old structure, which turned out to be quite a hit. It's a great place to hear about the government and the history of our city that's involved with the government and the legislature part of it. And makes learning fun. We have uh, exhibits uh, especially here for us from the Courtney and District Museum. We have items from the Royal BC Museum. We have our famed historical architect Francis Molson Rattenbury. Uh, an opportunity to try your hand at being the Speaker of the House or a Junior Sergeant at Arms. And of course there's a scavenger hunt. They'll be watching the new session much more carefully I'm sure. And parents who attended say they're happy to have a free family-friendly activity. I hope they saw Keith Baldry wandering the halls over there as well. Now, the tragic death of an 11-year-old boy on Vancouver Island almost a decade ago is now inspiring others to learn how to save a life. 
As Catherine Urquhart reports, a special family day event is answering the question, what should you do if someone near you suffers a heart attack? Begin CPR. Let's go. It was a fitting event for family day. We'll show you right here. You need to go on bare skin. At a community center in Duncan, participants were shown how to save loved ones and anyone else in need. Things can go wrong, and it's just nice to have the information and having my wife with me in case I'm the problem. Young and old were taught how to perform CPR and how to use AEDs. I think it's very important. Is it good to learn? Yeah. The annual training event is done in memory of 11-year-old Caleb Crawford. In 2013, he suddenly died outside the Island Saving Center. Nobody knew how to do CPR. Nobody had an AED. Tragically, Caleb passed away. The silver lining from all of that was that they found the heart condition that had caused this to happen in his twin brother. So his twin bro brother's life has been saved. Like a turtle. There's a circle right there. Push all the way down until you hear the click. Do that 30 times. Getting help to someone quickly makes all the difference. The instant somebody collapses, the sooner you can get quality CPR going, the chances go up to 95% of surviving a heart attack. It's even better with an AED. The life-saving information was embraced by all. I think it's fantastic. Uh, I love the technology is coming along so far that we can have stuff like this for everyday use when needed. A family day event that very well could save lives. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And just ahead on the news hour, extreme weather coast to coast. Whoa, whoa. Another atmospheric river triggers new warnings in California as a severe storm also pounds Florida. And coming up in sports, the Canucks in a wild shootout in Minnesota. What happened that's never happened so far this season? Extreme weather is impacting both coasts in the United States. In Florida, storms even forced the organizers to postpone NASCAR's iconic Daytona 500 race. While out west, severe rain is forcing evacuations in parts of California. Whoa. Whoa. Overnight, whipping winds and heavy rain taking aim out west. Officials issuing evacuation warnings in parts of Southern California as another atmospheric river dumped up to an inch of rain an hour on the already soaked region. The rain causing massive mudslides to block a rural highway while uprooted trees have toppled power lines. The Storm Prediction Center highlighting a rare tornado risk for the Central Valley. In higher elevations, heavy snow is blanketing the Sierra Nevada mountains. Four feet is expected to pile up with wind gusts reaching 60 miles per hour, making for dangerous driving conditions. In all, 35 million people are under flood alerts, with up to eight inches of rain expected over the next few days. It all adds to the more than 14 inches that soaked Southern California just two weeks ago. The back-to-back -back storm systems causing more than 500 mudslides. This is wild. Officials worry this latest round of rain will lead to even more flooding and damage. Just a tornado. 
On the East Coast, a different storm system spawning a possible tornado in the Florida Everglades. Thunderstorms forcing a temporary ground stop at Miami International. While NASCAR's Daytona 500 was postponed for just the third time in the race's history. But back out west, this days-long storm system is just getting started. Well, we have our experience with atmospheric rivers here. Thankfully, we're going to dodge the brunt of that one, Yvonne. Yeah, we just got a system that's sitting to the south of us, but it'll be on and off showers. We're already starting to see it this evening, and it'll be similar as we get in towards our back-to-work and school forecast. That coming up in just a moment. Six is what we're sitting at right now. Here's the moisture that's moving in. We'll see it right across the island. Areas in towards the interior, though, higher elevations also looking at the potential for some snow, and there's a swath of moisture right across the island as well. And this is what we're anticipating to take us into both our Tuesday and leading in towards our Wednesday. Now, now, for tomorrow, 8 and up to 10 degrees will be the high. Plan ahead, though, we are going to see that on and off shower activity continuing in through the day, likely and towards the evening as well. And if you're traveling along the mountain passes, we could see the potential for some snowfall this evening. Cocoa Hollow with up to 5 centimeters should ease off to flurries for tomorrow. Areas along the Rogers and Kootenai Pass, 2 and 4 centimeters with an additional 2 and 4 centimeters in towards tomorrow. And most areas along the Cocoa Hollow and Connector should start to ease off. Now, Tuesday, Wednesday, as we take a look at the future cast, it'll be quite similar. We'll be underneath cloud cover, on and off showers, and then in behind it, we get a nice break by Thursday, Friday. It'll rebound. We'll have plenty of sunshine in the mix. Coastal areas will be up to six as a high. Inland across the central and southern interior, we are going to be seeing that light flurry activity. Most areas along the mountain passes is where we're tracking that accumulating snowfall. Bit of a transition, though, for the Columbia and Kootenai region with that temperature getting above the freezing mark. Revelstoke will climb up to two, and then most areas across the island and the lower mainland is where we're looking at that shower activity. Highs tomorrow, 10 and up to 11 degrees. We'll be extending in towards the Fraser Valley. Wednesday, it'll be similar. And then on Thursday with that sunshine, a beautiful day in store with highs up to 11 degrees. All right, tonight's weather window, a fantastic shot. This one captured in Prince George, and it was taken by Alan. Chris? Beautiful shot. Very close to nature, almost anywhere in the lower mainland. It's good to see. And here's Jay in for Squire. It was wild what happened to the Canucks today. You, you know, you guys, sometimes you watch a hockey game and you say to yourself, what did I just see? Such was the case for today's game against the Minnesota Wild. Around the net, puts it in front, Kaprizov scores! The Canucks play in Denver tomorrow. But it's an avalanche of goals here in Minnesota this afternoon as the Wild get their fifth of the period. Yeah, it really was wild. We'll show you everything that transpired just ahead in sports. Look forward to that. Thanks, Jay. Also ahead. You control the controllables. Taking on the unknowns of the deep blue sea. The latest challenge for an ultra-endurance athlete from Kelowna. Later. Jan, we're in for uh, Squire tonight. Were the Canucks sleepy with a morning game today, or what happened? They played okay five on five. Yeah, that's true. Gave up the power play goals, mm -hmm. but it was wild. It really yeah. was. Uh, definitely was a wild, wild afternoon of hockey in Minnesota today. The Canucks opening up a quick three-game road trip against a pesky wild side that's pulled itself back in the playoff picture. It was a tight game in the first period, and then after that, all hell broke loose. Canucks took a 5-3 lead into the third period. 
And then the Wild just went off. They went wild. Seven third-period goals. Minnesota scoring a franchise record. Four goals in two minutes, 17 seconds. En route to beating the Canucks 10-7. Yeah, there's going to be some open wounds heading to, uh, to uh, Colorado for tomorrow's game against the Avs. The good news, though, Canucks finally scored a power play goal. Zero sinking the glasses half full. Brock Besser, yeah, Brock Besser back in his home state. Canucks took a 2-1 lead in the second. Came out strong in the middle frame. Had back-to-back -back dominating shifts, and it's the Trey Croner line. Elias Pettersson pulling the trigger on his 29th. That line's finding some chemistry. All Swedes on that one. Hence the Trey Croner, my friend. 3-1 Vancouver. Power play gets going. Like the motion, finally. JT Miller, Quinn Hughes, a little quick back and give and go. 26 of the season for Miller was 4-1. Now, Matt Boldy scored to make it a two-goal game, but then JT Miller streaking down the win. wing. He's just trucking. That's your goal for Miller on a heck of an effort. It was 5-2 Vancouver, but just like the first, they gave up another late one in the second. Matt Zuccarello off of Ian Cole's toe. It was 5-3 into the second. Third period, and then it's boom, boom, out goes the lights for the Canucks. Wilder still on the power play, 29 seconds in. Joel Erickson-Eck on the well-executed power play. 5-4 game, less than a minute later. Canucks still killing off a penalty. Now you tell me how this play isn't ruled dead. You can't see the puck. The ref is right there by Ian Cole. There's no puck. You lose sight of the puck, blow the whistle. But the ref just let it carry on. And sure enough, Minnesota scores. Kirill Kaprizov, 5-5 hockey game. Then 21 seconds later, another power play goal. Joel Erickson-Eck, one-timer from the slot. He had the hat trick, and the roof was caving in on the Canucks. Four power play goals for the Wild. Then the Canucks turn it over. Matt Boldy still sets up Kaprizov. Wild scoring six goals in five minutes, 45 seconds to erase that three-goal Canuck lead. It's the fastest six-goal flurry by one team in more than a quarter of a century. 8-5 Wild. But the Canucks hang in there. Nikita Zadorov gets the Canucks within two and then just under three minutes to play. Casey DeSmith is pulled for the extra attacker. Quinn Hughes, slap pass to Brock Besser in the slot. 8-7 hockey game and could the Canucks pull it out? No. Wild hit a pair of empty netters. Jonas Brodeen from behind his own goal line. Kaprizov also hitting the empty net for his hat trick. Three Hatties in total. 10-7 the final. Uh, you got to learn how to play under pressure. You know, uh, we gave him, four, what was it, five, four or five on threes. Gave him a, go uh, a goal at the end of the first, and then we take a penalty after the second. Um, so... These are lessons that we have to learn how to play under pressure. Stick penalties. Our five-on-play play was good. We had uh, a lot of a lot of chances. I thought we played five-on-five. Five. Obviously, the other parts of our game wasn't good. It was a weird game. Uh, they clearly got a lot of momentum. And when you're on a power play, that starts to feel it. You know, when they have some talented players. Unfortunately, they got a lot of a handful of looks. And you know, I don't want to speak too much on the penalty kill. I really wasn't on it a whole lot. And our penalty kill has done an unbelievable job for us this year. So I, the good news is, if we get to play again tomorrow. Good news, it was all smiles in Abbotsford. Baby Canucks delivering an overtime thriller against Calgary. Stretch pass to Tristan Nielsen. Linus Carlson gets his own rebound. Bags the overtime winner. He's the game's first star. Abbotsford now two games above 500. They're five points back at Calgary for fourth in the Pacific. Family Day was also Cowboy Day at the Langley Event Center. That's Michael Buble and his wife and their baby daughter on the far right. I tell you, Buble's been living at the rink the last week and a half. He was at 
All-Star Weekend in Toronto, and then he gets to watch his team have a big third period. They scored four in the final frame. Logan Hammett, second of the game. Giants win their eighth of their last ten. Double up the Chiefs. 6-3. There's a full slate of uh, games today in the Western Hockey League for BC teams. Kamloops, 3-1 winners against Victoria. Kelowna squeaks past the Tri-City Americans. And how about the Prince George Cougars officially clinching a playoff spot? 8-1, they beat Seattle. Finally, The Rock says, drivers, start your engine! How jacked is The Rock? I mean, we're all thinking, look at them. Took them an extra day to fire up the engines at the Daytona 500 as the range is drenched Florida all weekend long. Always waiting for the big wreck to occur, and it happened a couple times. Nine laps to go, 22 cars get into the twisted metal mess. Defending NASCAR Series champion Ryan Blaney finished 30th after being involved in that pileup that also claimed Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, Tyler Reddick, and 2023 Daytona 500 winner Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And then two laps to go. They wreck again just as William Byron overtakes Ross Chastain. Byron's a great story. He started his racing career playing video games in front of his computer at home. Scotty's Tournament of Hearts, Corn Brown's BC rank is 2-2, two and, two, and Clancy Gray, uh, Grandy's rank is 3-1. and one. We profiled her rank last week here on the News Hour. Awesome. Good to see they're doing well. All right, thanks, Jay. Up next, a Kelowna endurance swimmer takes on what could be his toughest test yet off the Hawaiian Islands. From breaking news to developing stories, no one connects you to your community better than BC's number one news. Come home to the team you trust. Local news every day. Global news. We are BC's News. Jordan Armstrong is standing by in our newsroom with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan. Chris, exciting news for people working to protect the local orca population. Take a look at yesterday off Collingwood Point on Bowen Island. You'll notice one of the orcas, A79 to be precise, has a calf swimming alongside her and it appears to be healthy. The resident whale population is under a lot of pressure, so scientists are thrilled by this sighting. We'll hear from the director of the Whales Initiative at OceanWise tonight on Global News at 11. Chris? Great to see an expanding family on Family Day. All right, yeah, Jordan. Perfect. Appreciate it. All right, a Kelowna ultra-endurance athlete who swam the length of Okanagan Lake in just under three days last year is preparing for yet another adventure in the water. As Taya Fast shows us, this time the distance might be a little shorter, but the goal comes with some added challenges. He has already done what most people can't. Kelowna's Nick Pelche swam the entire distance of Okanagan Lake from Vernon to Penticton in just under three days. But now the ultra-endurance athlete is gearing up for his next challenge in the water. I wanted to kind of take the next step forward in, in the ultra-swimming world, and that's moving into ocean swimming stuff. I think in the future, there's a lot more opportunity for bigger channels or projects in the ocean. So... Um, you kind of got to earn your stripes and get the respect in, in the ocean. Next month, Palche plans to tackle the Malachi Channel, a 42-kilometer stretch between the islands of Malachi and Oahu in Hawaii. Definitely excited. Um, these are like the moments I live for and those rare moments in life when you get to experience being out and testing yourself against Mother Nature is kind of what I live for, so I'm, I'm very excited to get back out there. Although it's a shorter distance than his Okanagan Lake swim, there are a few added logistics that Palche will have to work through this time around. Here, the water will be warmer, but it's salt water, which is uh, 
uh, a lot more rough on the body and the tongue and everything. Um, you'll have currents and obviously the open ocean, it's a very deep channel. It's uh, going right across the open ocean. So um, you'll have currents and the tides and the waves and weather and swells. And then you also have the sea life to deal with. So things like sharks and jellyfish. Palche says the new challenges, though, excite him and his team has a plan in place to ensure his swim is as safe as possible. If these are my goals and these are the things I want to do, you have to kind of accept some degree of risk involved and you control the controllables you can have, but it's kind of like a metaphor for life. Like you control what you can and the rest, you kind of just have to have to kind of roll with it. Palche leaves for Hawaii on March 15th and will dive into his next quest any day between March 18th and 25th, depending on the weather. Teofaskal News. Nick, we wish you great luck on your Hawaiian adventure. Glad it's you, not us. Yeah, we're living <laughs> vicariously through you. Yeah. <laughs> we will be watching. Hopefully, it's calm seas for you. Um, pretty calm around here, too. Uh, maybe a quick word on weather before we go. Yeah, uh, for tomorrow, uh, heading back to work in school, it'll be on and off showers. It'll be very similar on Wednesday. And you notice, though, temperatures still getting up to around 10 degrees. We're into the double digits. The nice bright spot will really be Thursday and taking us in towards our Friday so far with plenty of sunshine and still a touch cooler when you're heading out the front door for the early morning hours. Uh, but we'll notice that uh, the shower activity will continue this evening and then leading in towards tomorrow as well. Love the showers. As long as we get the sunshine. Yeah. You know, when, they, when we get both, everybody's <laughs> happy. All right, thanks very much for watching, everyone. Hope you've had an amazing family day. All the best to you, and uh, appreciate you watching us. We'll see you tomorrow.